Hey, everybody, before we get started with today's episode, I just want to tell you about Mental Health Association Oklahoma's Relief Fund. It's going on right now on Mental Health Association Oklahoma's Facebook page. That Facebook fundraiser is critical right now to support the association's programs and services during this really challenging time. As many of you know, there is a lot of work happening at the front lines to protect vulnerable populations and our unsheltered neighbors. Mental Health Association Oklahoma is providing meals for people experiencing homelessness. We're maintaining support groups virtually through Zoom, and our amazing staff is working hard to protect tenants living in our apartment complexes. I need you to donate today to help Mental Health Association Oklahoma reach our $15,000 goal in the next two weeks. We've already raised about $2,000, so we're making great progress, but we need you to donate today. It's super easy. Just visit our Facebook page, search for Mental Health Association Oklahoma, then click that wonderful, beautiful link to donate. You can also donate on the association's main website at mhaok.org. Okay, let's get to the show. If this crisis has showed us anything, it's that we are all one unexpected moment away from finding ourselves in a position of vulnerability. And thank goodness we live in a community that takes care of each other. You're listening to the Mental Health Download from the nonprofit Mental Health Association Oklahoma. I'm Matt Gleason. And on today's episode, I am so excited to be joined by Greg Shin, Associate Director and Chief Housing Officer for Mental Health Association Oklahoma. He has a very long title and uh, he's been with us since 2001. Greg, thank you so much for being here with us on the Mental Health Download. Thank you for having me, Matt, and I'm glad to be here for today's conversation. Yeah. Um, You know, during this time of COVID, um, a lot of my friends and family are asking, well, what's being done to help people experiencing homelessness? They don't say people experiencing homelessness. uh, They say the homeless. But in this conversation and hopefully in all conversations uh, that our audience have, you know, use person first language, say people experiencing homelessness. They're not the homeless. They're not, they're not the mentally ill. They're people who have mental illness, people who don't have homes. Uh, they're people first. So, And so um, to really have a really fascinating conversation, we, we've invited Becky Glico to be on the podcast. We're going to interview her in just a few minutes, just a heads up on who Becky is. So She serves as the housing policy director for the city of Tulsa, and she is responsible for working with city and state housing agencies, nonprofit entities like Mental Health Association, philanthropic organizations and developers to achieve key outcomes of neighborhood revitalization and affordable housing preservation and development. And she's also helping people experiencing homelessness right now. Correct, Greg? That is correct. Um, Becky has... I've accepted, in addition to everything that you said, she has been accepted um, as the interim executive director for the uh, Center for Housing Solutions for the city of Tulsa, which is the new name for the continuum of care, which brings together all of the organizations in the city that are working on a common plan to end and prevent homelessness. And so it's a brand new startup nonprofit organization with a new name, Housing Solutions, and she is leading that initiative as the interim executive director while they begin their search for a new permanent executive director, which is critical because it oversees millions of dollars coming to the city year after year to address homelessness. And so 
with her background as the housing policy director, which is, she's been in that position for less than a year, but she has a wealth of experience, which I'm really excited to talk with her about today. And then she brings that leading the way with our crisis homelessness response, which is got the city under amount of pressure that is uh, unbelievable right now. Not unique to Tulsa or Oklahoma, every, every city in the country is experiencing this right now in the middle of the COVID crisis. Yeah. Um, all right. So um, as we wait for Becky to join the call, the Zoom call, um, Greg, you know, kind of give us an update on Mental Health Association Oklahoma's housing. How are things going? So with the Mental Health Association, uh, we have almost 1,600 units in both Tulsa and Oklahoma City. Uh, most of those are in Tulsa, but um, we do have a number of locations in Oklahoma City, about 150 units. And so um, things are remarkably calm in the midst of the storm. We're maintaining operations. We remain at about 90% occupancy level. Of course, there's a moratorium on evictions or displacement from housing, not just in Oklahoma, but across the country. Of course, President Trump and all the other elected officials, nobody wants anybody to be displaced from the safety of their home right now. Therefore, evictions have ceased. People need to shelter in place. And we are adhering to that policy at Mental Health Association Oklahoma. We have 22 locations in Tulsa, about 150 units in Oklahoma City. So you can imagine 3,000 people, men, women, and children living in our housing across the state. It's imperative that we protect the health and safety of every one of those families, veterans, formerly homeless individuals. They're not homeless anymore because they have housing. We want them to stay safe in that housing. That's our number one priority. We have another number one priority. It's not a second priority. An additional number one priority is the health and safety of our workforce. We have to maintain and protect the health and safety of our workforce so that we can keep the housing safe, the people living in the housing safe. We have to do both at the same time. It's like a, it's like a dual priority that we have right now. And we're maintaining it with a relative calm in the midst of the storm. I think everybody gets the gravity of the situation right now. Our staff, our residents, everybody is doing their best to adapt to the strategy of safety right now. Okay, and it looks like Becky Glico has joined the call. Becky, are you there? I'm here. Fantastic. And um, it's really an honor to have you with us here this morning, Becky. I'm very happy to be here. Thanks, Greg. Well, Becky, um, we've discussed a little bit of what your role and function at the city of Tulsa is, both as the housing policy um, director for the city as well as the interim executive director of Housing Solutions, the continuum of care lead agency that is brand new and that you're heading up. But um, I only mentioned very briefly that you bring a wealth of experience. So just to get us started, um, 
It was really exciting to have you come into the housing policy director position. And I'd like our listeners to just have a little bit of an idea of the background and wealth of experience that you bring to Tulsa um, in that position. So if you could just briefly give us a minute or so of kind of the background and positions that you had bringing that uh, um, to the city to lead our, our um, initiatives. Sure. So when I came to Tulsa, uh, prior to my time here, I spent 10 years working for a training and consulting firm called Nan McKay and Associates, which is based out of San Diego, California. Um, And with them, I trained housing regulations all over the country and then transitioned into what we call the program management role, um, where I ran agencies in places like Bridgeport, Connecticut, um, Amarillo, Texas, and also supported operations. We ran the housing choice voucher or section eight program for both the Miami Dade housing authority, as well as the Chicago housing authority. Um, so worked with housing providers, affordable housing and providers all over the country on regulatory compliance, efficiency, client centered management. Um, and then also was, uh, kind of a widely, um, used fair housing experts. So I worked with housing authorities all over the country on fair housing compliance, um, whether voluntarily because they wanted to be proactive or because the federal government told them to. But uh, that's sort of what I brought into this this space in Tulsa. So affordable housing has been my world for a long time. That's um, a really vast experience that you bring to the table. And this really, in your new role, it represents the first true investment by the city of Tulsa to have an affordable housing plan, to have an affordable housing policy director that is pulling together all of the stakeholders in the community. Could you just describe for a minute um, some of what you've done um, to put together the um, affordable housing plan, the housing policy uh, for the city of Tulsa and what that's going to look like going forward? So for the better part of 2019, I worked with three uh, advisory groups, one comprised of social service nonprofit uh, providers, one of for-profit developers, and one of neighborhood folks who would just be simply affected by the housing policies that we created. Um, And we met monthly, uh, looked at best practices around the country, Um, thought about them from a Tulsa lens and developed the city's affordable housing strategy. So that launched in December. Uh, The strategy itself has time-bound metrics uh, for its success and a series of 10 goals that are really focused around affordable housing preservation, the incent of affordable housing development, um, eviction prevention, homelessness prevention and um, solutions, and uh, how we also address our vacant and abandoned properties. And so that was the better part of the first year, well, the first half of the first year of this job. Uh, And then, you know, up until this crisis, we'd really been working on things like getting the Affordable Housing Trust Fund seeded for 2020, the goal being to raise $20 million in 2020 to use as a a use case, essentially, of what it can do, Um, starting to put the bones around the Community Housing Development Organization, or CHODO Academy, uh, and looking at what we could do to strengthen tenant rights. Those were the main goals of the first quarter. And I think that they laid a foundation that now that we're going to have to help a lot more people than we originally thought, we can take some of those same ideas and apply them going forward. 
um, though that's a lot to take on in the very first year of your appointment. And at the same time, we brought in Homebase out of San Francisco, a national technical assistance firm who helped uh, the Continuum of Care Away Home for Tulsa develop the new five-year plan to end homelessness in Tulsa. Can you talk about the critical juncture between affordable housing and the new homeless plan and why affordable housing is so important for the city's quality of life? Sure. So the only way we're actually going to meet our goal of making homelessness rare, brief and non-recurring is to address the things that are driving the rise in, in homelessness in Tulsa. And that is very clearly the lack of affordable housing and the lack of quality affordable housing and our staggering eviction crisis. We are the 11th highest evictor in the country. Um, that's as of two years ago. I would assume that we have now reached the unfortunate distinction of being in the top 10. And so a lot of the goals that are supported by the city's affordable housing strategy are reflected in a way home for Tulsa's five-year strategic plan. Things like stopping homelessness before it starts by creating more tenant resources and shifting the balance of power in eviction court, um, creating the availability of more affordable units with quality landlords who are going to rent to second chance tenants. And even, you know, battling nimbyism and stigma, part of what we come up against in Tulsa is we concentrate our affordable housing in certain parts of the city, and we don't always offer um, access to amenities, transportation, or even just basic housing quality that we would want regardless of the price point of the unit. And so I think there's a lot of intersection between the two plans. And if we can achieve the goals of the affordable housing strategy, I believe that we will be reciprocally um, fulfilling the goals of Away Home for Tulsa strategic plan, and we will see a change in the number of unsheltered folks that we have. Well, um, in the midst of all of that, you know, we've had a chance to work together on a number of advisory committees, subcommittees, planning various parts of the different initiatives. So tell the listeners what it's been like for you to work in this environment, getting to know everybody across what I will call um, multi-sector government, private sector, nonprofit sector, uh, political leadership, getting to know everybody and working across the spectrum with everybody in Tulsa. How has that been for you? It's honestly been wonderful. As a consultant, I often, you know, contributed to communities that I wasn't a part of. And there's something about that that's rewarding, but there's something about that that can feel somewhat hollow when you, you know, you do good work and then you leave and you're on to the next thing. You don't get to see the fruits of your efforts. And in Tulsa, this is really the first place that I've lived in a long time that truly feels like home to me. And so it was important that, that I engaged in my community in such a way that those relationships weren't what I was used to, which is you do the work first and then you build the relationship on the back end, but that we were building long lasting relationships to sustain the work. And Tulsa, I think is really good at that. Uh, it's a different pace, right? Because it takes time to build those deep relationships. But I think that we see the benefit of that. So for me, it's been wonderful. And, you know, I've had some challenging conversations when you're talking about shifting to uh, more of a tenants rights model and a property rights heavy state, that, that alarms people. They think about what does that mean in terms of my being able to do my business as a landlord or a property owner. We have folks sometimes that don't understand 
the basic realities of what it means to live in poverty or be a person facing homelessness. But even in those most challenging conversations, what I found is that Tolson's care about Tolson's. And when you get past fear and past reaction and you can start to speak a common language and build those relationships, I've yet to walk away from any table or any meeting feeling hopeless um, about whether or not there's a path forward and a, a path to consensus. It's just some of those roads are longer than others. So I found um, building those relationships and working in this environment to be incredibly inspiring. I've also never worked in a city where the vast majority of developers are homegrown. And so what they are building and with the way that they're investing, I mean, they're going to enjoy those buildings too. Their kids might be one of their renters someday. And so the lens that they look at that with is so much, um, it's so much more personal and it's so much more thoughtful than somebody who just, this is what I build. This is, you know, what I do. And this is what the performa looks like. And I just go from city to city to make it happen. It's more about what do I want for my community? And it's, um, it's very inspiring and it's very, uh, enlightening for me. Hey everybody, we're going to take a quick pause just for me to say, please donate to mental health association, Oklahoma's relief fund. We need your donation today go to Mental Health Association Oklahoma's Facebook page and click donate. Okay, back to the show. In the midst of all of that, what do you think, if you could boil it down to a couple of things, what do you think the key is to getting, lowering our homeless count, mm -hmm. which has not been at emergency proportions like say Seattle or San Francisco or Los Angeles or New York City, our numbers have increased very small numbers uh, percentage wise over the last few years. But when you look at it over 10 years, it's a significant increase. So what do you think are a couple of the keys uh, to reversing that trend? I think that we have to stop treating symptoms and start addressing the core the core cause of our, our incrementally rising numbers. And, and to do that, we simply need to house people first. And we need to leap over the barriers that people put up because they think that they're there because of regulations or that's what we've always done. And so I think it's just, it sounds over oversimplified, but it's getting people housed in quality housing situations and keeping them housed. So then supporting landlords um, and property managers to work with tenants, um, creating mediation solutions, wraparound services as need be. But I think we can reverse this very quickly by simply getting people housed in the most appropriate setting possible. And we'll figure out how to how to keep them there along the way. But let's get people housed first. Now, sounds like a housing first approach to me. <laughs> um, as yes. I've always said, the solution to homelessness is housing. I think it doesn't get any simpler than that. It's hard to do. Mm -hmm. it's the, it is the uh, prescription to the problem, but it is a, it is a challenge. And among the other challenges that we're having right now, of course, is the COVID-19 outbreak. Mm -hmm. And if you think about the people that are at risk, which it means people who are at risk and more vulnerable because they may have compromised health, mm -hmm. they may not have access to healthcare, that is definitely reflected in the homeless population. Can you talk about what we're seeing in the city of Tulsa related to the homelessness and the COVID-19 outbreak? Absolutely. So the first thing that that we did, and Greg, it was actually at your 
urging when you talked about what Oklahoma City was doing is we stopped clearing any encampments of people experiencing homelessness and allowed people to self-isolate. Um, that's a different approach than we'd used at the city before, but I think it's actually been incredibly helpful. We're already overwhelmed within our shelter system. And if we had put more pressure on it, I think we would have been dealing with a much different, even though today's situation is challenging, I think that that bought us time and saved some lives by bringing supplies to people instead of forcing them out of encampments. Um, the biggest challenge that we're facing right now is the inability of our shelters to um, social distance or physically distance their guests. And so um, what is exciting and what the mayor will be announcing on Wednesday is that we do now have a temporary shelter that will allow current clients of the day center and the Salvation Army and John's 316 to have another facility. We're contracting with those entities to run the facility. They'll have another facility and it will allow us to not turn anybody away but still enact social distancing. The other thing that's been, I think, really positive is that our healthcare system is responding to this in such a way that they realize that under and uninsured folks are particularly vulnerable once we get our testing capacity up and running. So we're exploring things like telemedicine, um, an on-site mobile testing um, facility, and a community clinic so that we can provide healthcare access to the folks who are going to be with our shelters for the long run. In the background, we're also looking at things like hotel stays for the most vulnerable or families with young children so that we can give people the most appropriate place to stay. I don't want to say that I'm excited about it because that sounds tone deaf, but we are going to get a lot of federal money out of this. And so the other thing is I want to be using this time and the support that we have to do the ice fadats and assess all the folks that we have in our shelters or that we're coming into contact with so that when those funds drop, we're getting people housed. I think that this is actually a real opportunity to um, do what we said we were going to do even with the summer of housing and get as many people housed as quickly as possible because we'll have an unprecedented level of funds um, with which to support uh, Tolson's experiencing homelessness. And that also leads me to another um, question is if you think about the homeless population and those within that population that are the most vulnerable, we're really talking about the unsheltered. Yes. Those people that are living outdoors in encampments in different places. Um, and that's another place where the homeless count has gone up mm -hmm. in the city of Tulsa and in Oklahoma City as well. But can we can you talk for just a minute about the efforts to connect with those people that are living unsheltered and outdoors where they might be and what we're trying to do about it? Yep. So we have been working with the police department who is tracking 311 calls, as well as our outreach workers who just have knowledge of where people stay to identify our most concentrated areas of encampments. And actually starting today, they did a pilot last week, our normal outreach workers who are used to being able to go and have face-to-face -face contact and really build relationships, they can't do that anymore, but we know that these folks still need care. So they're going out in groups of two and they're doing supply drops that will allow them to maintain social distancing. Um, we're following LA County's rule of, you have to stay six feet from any encampment um, any person in an encampment and you cannot stay in any encampment for more than 10 minutes. Um, and we're getting them PPE, but, um, they'll, they'll leave food and they're going to leave, um, 
just, you know, basic needs, human needs, supplies, and information. So one of the things that I think is especially challenging for our unsheltered Tolsons is that we're all getting a lot of information. I think on some days it feels like information overload, but most of us are getting that information from the television or from the internet. And they don't always have that luxury depending on access to Wi-Fi or an ability to charge a device if they have one. And so we're also doing kind of like a newsletter of this is what's going on right now. These are the resources available to you. This is how you can stay safe. And then we are also enacting a red card, green card system. So when we do the supply drops at the encampments, we're leaving just, they're just index cards, green ones and red ones with um, a flow chart of, you know, if these things are happening and you're exhibiting these symptoms or you have another medical need, put up the red card. And that lets us know that we need to deploy a mobile medical team. Um, we're working with the health department, homeless and indigent care task force right now to figure out who would go. In the meantime, it would be EMSA. Um, so, but if you put up a red card without having to break that social distancing, you're telling us I need some help, or I think I may need some testing. Um, if you put up a green card, you're saying all's well, keep bringing the food and the supplies. I'm good. Leave me alone. Um, and so that allows our outreach teams to quickly scan the situation and figure out how to triage who needs more care than they're receiving right now without, you know, sending folks into an emergency room that might not be prepared to help them or would turn them away. You mentioned um, PPE, personally protective equipment. Of course, it's really important to maintain the system response that you're describing that the frontline workers are protected. Yes. And so, can you describe some of the technology or the methods that we may be using to make uh, make those drops into the encampment and ensure mm-hmm. uh, safety of individuals? So we've been able to give our outreach workers gloves and and the N95 masks. We were we got a, a very nice donation of masks, but that only goes so far. We are talking about the possibility of perhaps using drones to do those drops and take footage eventually, especially if the situation becomes more untenable um, and looking at different um, decontamination products that are out there that folks could use on themselves in their car that would still be safe for them. That's sort of where we are right now. I, you know, what I think we sometimes lose in the conversation is that my gosh, our healthcare workers who are on the front lines of this are putting their lives at risk every day and they should have adequate equipment to be able to do their jobs. Same with first responders, but I would put um, homeless service providers in the same category. And I think that they're often left out of that conversation. And so part of this is um, budgeting and advocating that they get PPE right alongside um, those groups that we've been talking about in larger conversations, having access to it. Right. And, um, I think you and I yesterday saw a photo of a number of um, homeless individuals that were gathered in downtown Tulsa Mm -hmm. because meals were being provided. Mm -hmm. They have to have access to food, of course, but it was pretty alarming to see the number of people that were gathering in close proximity to each other. You know, what can be done to try to control or mitigate the risk of people that need to be fed? Yeah. Um, what, are, what are we trying to do to adapt? Everybody's adapting. Yeah. How do we adapt the our ability to feed people that are hungry, that are unsheltered, that are coming to our downtown area? 
Yeah. So we're, we're iron gate is moving from their traditional model to a grab and go model, which will move people through faster and hopefully break up some of those concentrations of folks. I think part of what we saw in that picture is that to enact social distancing, some of our, um, day providers have had to turn people away that aren't night shelter clients because they simply can't provide for safety. And so when we get the emergency shelter up and running, I really do believe that that's going to be helpful because we'll, we'll have a space where people are already social distancing, where we can control um, how they get the access to, to those meals instead of them having to wait for the grab and go situation. And we'll be able to bring it to them rather than them having to wait and congregate to get those basic meals. Right. And um, at this point in time, I haven't heard of, I don't believe I know of any instance of homelessness of COVID-19 infection within our homeless community, which is a miracle right now. And we want to keep it that way. So I think um, those efforts that you're describing, I commend you. We're doing this on the fly. Everybody's doing this on the fly as we try to come up with resources in the middle of an emergency situation. So Mm -hmm. um, thank you for helping lead those efforts. Um, I don't know if there's anything else that you would like to share with our audience. some thoughts that you have, um, other ideas that you think we could try to implement that we're learning from other communities, um, anything else that you want to share with our audience? Sure. Just in a very practical, shameless plug kind of way, I would <laughs> urge everybody to go to um, the Housing Solutions or the Away Home for Tulsa's Facebook pages. We're posting links there on how people can donate either money or goods to support the efforts that we're talking about. We're going to need donations. I mean, we've got we've got funding. We have federal dollars coming in, but any support that folks can give, that's incredibly helpful. Um I think, you know, part of what I have been so impressed by is the public's patience as we do find a solution for something that's so unprecedented. So know that, you know, there's a lot of people at the table thinking about this um, and and forging a path forward. Um, And I think what's been really interesting is that the folks who can, national organizations, HUD, the CDC, are doing some really great webinars, um, sharing with us lessons learned. King County, which includes Seattle, is one that we're all kind of looking at. And they were hit really first by this crisis in the United States. And they've been really candid about here's what worked and here's what didn't work. Um, so, you know, even though we're coming up with solutions on the fly, and it very much is building the plane while we're flying it, we are, I think, learning from other communities, and there's a rich sense of information sharing going on right now, and um, national best practices are really being established, which is like important and comforting um, and lets us know that you know there are some proven successes for some of the things that we are attempting here in Tulsa. Well, Becky, I want to thank you for your leadership on all of these fronts, um, all these community priorities as we try to help some of the most disadvantaged people in our great city. And the people that we're trying to serve are just as important as our business leaders. Their lives are valued. We certainly do not want this crisis to add to the stigma of homelessness. Mm -hmm. Maybe it is an opportunity, crisis equals opportunity. So maybe this is an opportunity with some of the federal and local resources 
that in the end, maybe some people that were unsheltered will find themselves in housing at the end of this crisis. And that would be a wonderful outcome and a blessing for those families and individuals, as well as for our entire city. So thank you again for being on our program today. And it's been an honor and a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you. Greg, thank you so much for being my co-host. And Becky, thank you so much for being here. Um, you both have provided such wonderful insight into this COVID era time that is full of so much uncertainty. But I think you gave, hopefully, the audience a lot of hope and um, some encouragement that solutions are happening right now. And you guys are working so hard to protect our most vulnerable citizens. So thank you. And as we do at the end of every podcast, we ask our guest to share a bit of wisdom and then close this out by saying go do good things so becky take it away the wisdom i think i I would share the i guess the thing i'd like everybody to think about is if this crisis has showed us anything it's that we are all one unexpected moment away from finding ourselves in a position of vulnerability and thank goodness we live in a community that takes care of each other so go do good things So I hope everybody enjoyed today's episode. Just a real quick reminder that we need your support for Mental Health Association Oklahoma's Relief Fund right now. It's, as I mentioned at the front of this episode, it's going on right now on Mental Health Association Oklahoma's Facebook page. It's super easy to donate. Just visit our Facebook page, search for Mental Health Association Oklahoma, click donate. You can also donate on the association's main website at mhaok.org. Trust me, I know your donation will make a difference. Thank you so much. Go do good things.